Welcome to the podcast of Saltbox Church, where we are passionate about leading people to become fully surrendered followers of King Jesus. Good morning. Welcome. Glad you decided to join us on this particular Sunday. Um, I am opening my Bible to the book of Acts. We are moving through the book of Acts, kind of an exciting book about um, the radical spread of the gospel of King Jesus, how it happened. Um, We are in the 13th chapter. Uh, We're going to go Acts chapter 13, and we're going to run through maybe verse 12. We'll start in verse 1 and run through verse 12. Um, But but I think what's fascinating here uh, as we open this up is I I am going to attempt... Um, notice I said attempt, uh, but I'm, I'm going to attempt to um, take a look at what is about to happen with this guy named Saul, who's about to go by Paul from here forward, um, and we're going to see if we can't understand that the entire weight of the Old Testament is behind him, the entire weight of uh, Yahweh God is behind him, the entire weight then of King Jesus is behind him, and what we're going to try to unpack is how exactly sort of the blessing of God, the presence of God, the purpose of God um, as moving through the Old Testament um, into the New Testament with King Jesus, now into the Apostle Paul, and then ultimately to who? You and me. Say me. Me. That's right. We live in a me culture. But this is an appropriate place to say me. Because here's what I want us to get, is I want us to understand that from eternity past, God has been working his kingdom will and way, and the promises um, that were, are made in this book in the beginning, we're going to see them here in Acts chapter 13, uh, but are applicable and true for us today. And I think if we could grab hold of those, we may never be the same. Okay? Come on. Okay. So, here we are. Uh, open your Bible. Acts 13. We're going to start reading in just a second. But this is um, kind of what I would also say is the birth of the urban church. So, w- within this first decade or so of the crucifixion of Jesus, we have like the village church uh, sort of happening in Palestine. It's all being left behind. And all, all of a sudden, we are seeing this Greco-Roman sort of city Christian movement happening. And it becomes the dominant sort of place, if you will, of the New Testament church. So let's just start reading, and uh, we will open this thing up. Verse, uh, I'm actually going to start in verse 25 of chapter 12 just because it gives a better break. Um, Okay, when Barnabas and Saul, now it's really important the order of those two names. Who comes first? Barnabas, that's important, so make note. And, uh, And Saul, that's really important, his name also, so just circle it if you like. When they had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now, if you weren't here a couple weeks ago, what we looked at is um, there was a prophetic word in the New Testament church. They took up an offering here in Antioch. They sent Barnabas and Saul um, with this offering all the way down to the New Testament church in Jerusalem so that they could distribute it. Okay, so that's kind of what's happening. So now they've returned um, from Jerusalem, and they've brought with them this guy named John, who's also called Mark, who I would say penned the book book of Mark, actually, um, by the first-hand account of the Apostle Peter. But there you go. All right, verse 1 of chapter 13. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, and I'm not going to open this up too much this morning, but arguably, uh, I would say the most influential church 
on the planet, perhaps ever, second, well, second only probably to the church in Jerusalem, is the church in Antioch. In fact, scholars would say that this is the cradle of Christianity. In other words, it's the place from which fledgling Christianity actually grew up, um, and it became what it is, a worldwide uh, movement that it is today. Okay, so now the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, uh, Barnabas, um, there was Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Mahan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, I don't want to, you can go back a couple weeks if you want to unpack this a little bit more. I proposed that one of the reasons that the church in Antioch was so powerful and that God loved it so much was because of the diversity of the uh, leadership in Antioch. Really fascinating. So just real quick, you have um, Simeon, who would have been an African, um, called Niger. That's also a Roman name, so he was probably a dark-skinned African, one of the leaders. You have Barnabas, who's a Jew, but he's from an island called Cyprus. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, Then you have Simon or Lucius of Cyrene. My opinion, I can't prove this, although a lot of people would agree with me, but this is the guy that probably carried the cross of Christ. Can you imagine? Like, if one of your elders or pastors at the church was the guy that actually carried... I mean, I, that's one of the guys that I can't wait to meet in heaven. Because my opinion is that he actually came to Christ in this process, watching Jesus as he's carrying this cross, looking at Jesus. Uh, but to have him as one of the key leaders that actually sends um, the uh, sort of mission of Paul um, and that, that really changes the world is incredible in my mind. You can cross-reference Matthew twenty-seven thirty-two. Mark 15, 21, or Luke 22, 36. I know I just blew through those. <laughs> um, but anyway, Cyrene was in Libya, North Africa, so he would have also been African. Uh, the fourth person they mention is Man, the foster brother of Herod the Tetrarch, so a lot of aristocracy and politics in this guy's blood. And then you have Paul, Jewish Pharisee, rabbi of rabbi, rabbis, and a talented tent maker, apparently. There you go. Diverse church. So let's keep going. Um, Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord. Now, could that have included music? Sure. Could that have included um, just acapello? (laughs) Acapulco? (laughs) Acapello singing? Yes. Could that have included just scripture reading? Yes, I mean, worship is not just music, although it is often music, but it, it would be anything. So they're worshiping the Lord. They're fasting. We're going to talk about that um, in days to come. The Holy, and the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, who? Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. Okay, so this is like, um, it's almost like, what is happening here? What, what work did God call them to? The Holy Spirit said, it says right here, the Holy Spirit said, was this an audible voice? Was it in the hearts of the believers? How did they know? I mean, you've got to think through this. So set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them. And this is one of the reasons we place hands on one another appropriately when we pray for each other. But they placed hands on them, and then they sent them off um, to the work to which I've called them. Okay, so you have this, like, huge sort of nebulous thing that's going on. Let's go ahead and read verse 4, and then we'll pause. Uh, The two of them, who are the two of them? Barnabas and Saul, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. Now, just a reminder, Cyprus is whose hometown? 
Barnabas. It's actually an island. It's about 90 miles wide. But anyway. Um, okay, so let's open this for just a minute and kind of go, what in the world is happening here? Now, we know, um, I'm going to flip on down to, or I'm just going to cross-reference when Paul, this is Saul, who's about to go by Paul from here forward, um, but when he first came to Christ, here's what he actually said. This is uh, Acts 26, uh, verse 15, well, starting in verse 14. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I, this is Saul talking, asked, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The Lord replied, now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and what you will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Okay, so we have the calling um, of this guy named Saul. Now, if you've been with us, um, I just want just a quick review. Uh, Saul uh, went down. He spent about three years in Arabia and Damascus. And then we have these 10 silent years. We don't exactly know what's going on, but he's in Tarsus. And I would actually say to you, in this time, um, Saul is in some ways wasting, you might say, the best years of his life. His 30s and into his 40s, a, a man, especially in this day and age, would have been approaching his prime. And all of a sudden, he drops out of history. So you can only imagine what is going on inside of his heart and mind. And then suddenly, 13 or 14 years later, Barnabas comes and gets him, and he begins to have Saul um, teach in this uh, church in the city of Antioch. So this growing, really vibrant um, church. So uh, now, it's a little bit complex here, but the work, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they have fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now, I want to propose to you that Saul, this guy, had already received from God his call, so he knows it. But he hasn't embraced it or really fully walked in it yet. And I think he doesn't begin to really walk in his call until this moment. And the only other place in Scripture that I can find clearly where there is this um, sort of nebulous sending off in obedience to God actually happens in Genesis 12. And I'm going to cross-reference Genesis 12 and see if we can open this thing up and gain some understanding because there's something powerful if we can get it. The entirety of the kingdom of God, the entirety of the Old Testament, then the entirety of King Jesus is all behind this apostle uh, Paul as he is about to be sent out. Um, and I, So I want you to grasp and fully understand this. So we've got to go all the way back to the beginning, Genesis 12. All right. Scroll away, flip away, whatever you're doing, or just listen if you prefer. All right, this is Genesis 12. We're just going to read five verses. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, from your people, and from your father's household to the land I will show you. Where's Abram going? He doesn't know. Where's Paul going? Where are Barnabas and Saul going? They don't know yet. I mean, there is this, there's a nebulous point here, and this is very antithetical to the way who we are as, an, as Americans. We want something planned out and structured, and we want a business plan, and we want to raise the funds, and we want to have it all like in a little PDF document so we can show everybody. But you get this idea here that God is sending them out in obedience, which requires them to actually step out. 
So Abram here um, is being told, stand up, he's about 75 years old, and leave everything you know. Now, what's Paul being told? Saul, Saul and Barnabas, what are they being told? Same thing. I mean, so what I want you to begin to get is that there is an Old Testament um, movement of God that from the very beginning of time, this has been God's heartbeat, and it's going to be uh, given first to this guy named Abram, who God is going to change his name to Abraham. It's interesting that this is a guy named, in the New Testament, we're reading about a guy named Saul who's going to go by Paul. Interesting little shift there. We'll talk about it. So, but this is so powerful because from the beginning of time, God has set in motion the unseen larger kingdom of God, and he is launching it through first this guy named Abraham. There's a number of other people in the process, but then ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, now being fulfilled again through the apostle Paul, and then being fulfilled again through me, and me, you, us. That's right. Okay. You follow me? This is big, so just hang with me. If you're new here and you're like, oh my gosh, I've never read this much Bible, welcome. Just ask God to speak to you in the journey, and we're going to dig it out. Okay, here we go. All right, so the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Verse 2, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. So you've got to understand, go back to Saul in Acts 13. He knows this by heart. So when God says to him first when he's called, you are called to the Jewish people, you're called to the Gentiles, and he says go, he can can quote Genesis 12 by heart. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. Now God is talking about a blessing on the life of Abram, but he's also talking about a blessing ultimately on the life of Jesus, ultimately on the life of Paul, and then on the life of us. Okay. Way to go. You're hanging with me. All right. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. What in the world is blessing? It's this funny word, right? It's a Bible word. I, I remember when I was a little bit younger, and people would assign their letters, you know, blessings. I was always kind of like, eh, really? But as I've gotten into it a little bit further, I would now say that the blessing of God, I would equate it with the presence of God, the gracious hand of God, the purpose of God, the unseen kingdom of God. So where God is, is blessed. So if I am living out from under the blessing of God, I am out from under God's gracious hand, his presence, his blessing. If I am living under or in the presence of God, um, then I am living in and under his blessing. Now, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but one of the huge errors I believe that a lot of modern Christians make is we sit around and go, God bless us, bless us, bless us. Instead of getting up and doing what God has called you to do, knowing that when you obey God and you're in the will and way of God, the presence of God, the purpose of God, the kingdom of God, the unseen even there, kingdom of God rising up in and through you, is going to demand that you are blessed. How do you get blessed? Keep moving when Jesus says move. Stop when he says stop. It's a, it's a you know, journey with him. Okay. Genesis 12, verse 2. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great. Can you imagine God saying this to you? I will and you will be a blessing. So not only are you going to get blessed, you are going to be a blessing to those around you. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Whoa. And all the peoples. Everybody say all the peoples. 
on earth will be blessed through you. Now, here's what I, you have got to like sort of get and understand here a minute. And I'm going to jump somewhere else. I'm going to jump to Galatians. We're going to come right back, so don't leave. You're going to go, Michael, you took us all over the place today. I did. It's a little hard to grab and understand, so I want you to do it. All right, Galatians 3.29. Here's what it says. This is Paul writing. Now, Saul, whose name is about to be Paul, this is him writing. Here's what he says. Galatians 3.29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Now, Abraham's name was changed from Abram, so that's who we're reading about right now. You're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, what's an heir? A recipient. I, get, I am the recipient of the promise. Okay, so go back. What's the promise? I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. Whoever blesses those uh, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. All right, now, here's the thing, church. We do not get up in the morning and go, I have been blessed. I am being blessed. I am living in blessing. The gracious hand of God is on me. The unseen kingdom of God is living in me and through me. And not only that, I'm now called to go around and walk around and extend and be a recipient and or extender of that blessing and favor of God everywhere I go. I'm a little bit convinced if we woke up that way and journeyed through our life that way that everything would be different. Everything. I was trying to think, how, how can I even like grasp and explain this on a practical level? And it's the only thing I could come up with. Um, at our house with our two younger ones, Abby and I take turns um, putting the kids to bed at night. Make sense? Real simple. We just switch. And we're in a season right now where mom is real popular. So guess what that means? Come on, what's that mean? Dad's not. Okay, so it looks like it's like this right now at our house. Oh, I want mom to put me to bed. And we have a big fuss. And dad goes ahead and puts whoever's night it is to bed. Now, here's the thing. There are like, as a parent, you know, I've got four. As a parent, the kids go through different seasons, and you just kind of learn to kind of ride the wave, right? Because if I know anything, it's like if I'm super popular one day, it's like being a pastor. If I'm super popular and the best pastor in the world, guess what? It ain't going to be long that I'm going to be the worst pastor in the world. I mean, it's just one of those things. So it won't be but two weeks, and guess what? Mom won't be popular, and who will be? Okay, but here's the thing that I began to think and see as I'm, I'm sitting there contemplating this the last few nights. I'm like, this is so funny. But how often is my response, like my deep heart of hearts response to God, like, no, God, I don't really want you right now. I don't really want you in my job. I don't really want you in my thought life. I don't really want you in my heart. I don't really want you in my marriage. I don't really want you to meddle with the way I raise my kids. I don't really want you to meddle with my finances because if you do, you require that I surrender all to you and it becomes yours. And I'm terrified that you're going to make me get up and move like you did to Abraham and Paul. Come on. And I think if there is a, a, a spiritual truth or principle that begins to emerge here is oftentimes we as people, I would actually say, are too afraid um, to actually step out and take the risk. You follow me? Let's tell another funny story and lighten the mood before we dig back in. Uh, Abby and I were on our, um, we're part of this boat club and we're, on, we're going to this um, picnic 
uh, I don't know what day it was, Friday night maybe. And so we'd been out on Masonboro hanging out with the kids. I try to take Fridays off. And then we pull up. It might have been, might have been Saturday. I don't remember when it was. It doesn't matter. We pull up, and we threw the front anchor, and I, I reversed the boat in, and I grabbed the rear anchor, and I'm getting ready to jump off. And I'm telling you, like, the shore was like four feet away, like four feet. One, two, three, four. So I grab the rear anchor, and there's a bunch of people on the shore, and guess what they're doing? They're watching me. Yeah. Well, we're at this picnic, right? And they're all getting ready to eat this shrimp boil thing, and it was a wonderful time. So I grab that anchor, I pull the boat all the way in, and guess what I do? No, let's just pause here. What has God told Abram to do? Get up and go. What has God told Saul to do? go. Okay, now I'm being really silly here, but I back that boat in, pull it up, I'm four feet from shore, and I took a step. Now, it was down on the um, north end of Carolina Beach, and the water's not very clear, you know what I'm saying? So I didn't know. I figured it was just like a foot deep. Well, guess what I found out? (laughs) I stepped off with that anchor with everyone watching, and guess where I ended up? Boom! I mean, it was eight feet deep, and I'm holding the anchor, and I'm like, oh my goodness! And so I get back up there and I slap the anchor on the back of the boat and I try to call, and I'm embarrassed, you know, my pride's hurt. I'm like, oh my goodness. And I sat there as I'm, I'm embarrassed thinking about this, I'm thinking about this sermon, right? There is this inherent risk that comes with choosing to step out and follow God. And there is actually no guarantee that when you take that first step, you're not going to go, boom. When Abram listened to God and, or heard God and God showed up and said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make your name great. You're going to be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And all the peoples of the earth are going to be blessed through you. He was at a spot where if he didn't choose to get up and step out in obedience, he would have missed the blessing of God. I mean, this is like... Now, Paul who became Saul in this chapter, and who, in my opinion, is the greatest preacher, leader, whatever you want to call him, that has ever walked the face of the earth related to the gospel of Christ. If he didn't stand up, I mean, what if he'd gotten comfortable in Antioch? I like my pastor salary. I like my little house. I mean, I like my thing, you know. And, and I, I don't want to get up and go in obedience to him. Okay, so I got four things for us today. The first thing is for every single one of us, God calls us to arise and go. Get up and go. Get up and step out of the boat, and sometimes, boom, the water's going to swallow you up. It will. But Jesus will lift you, and you will walk on through it. So the first thing that I think all of us are called to do... um, in Jesus is to get up and go. Arise and go. Does Abram have any idea where he's going? No. Does Saul, do Barnabas and Saul have any idea where they're going? No. In fact, I would love to have been in the conversation. So the Holy Spirit says, pray for them, lay hands on them, set them apart. And so Paul and Barnabas like walk off right down the road where nobody can see them anymore and then look at each other and go, where are we going? I don't know. Where do you want to go? Well, there's an island over there. (laughs) Let's go to Cyprus. I I don't know what their conversation was like, but these guys have totally stepped out by faith. Now, and we're we're back in Acts 13 now. Abraham in this text is 75 years old. Um, He has no map. Um, He's told to leave his family, pack up, and that is the price of obedience. 
Paul now, in this situation, in Acts 13, is in his late 40s. And I want to actually read something that a biographer named John Pollock um, wrote in his book called The Apostle. So this is what he wrote about um, Paul coming out of Acts 13 uh, in, in, in this passage. Here's what he said. Thus, in his late 40s, at an age where men settle to comforts and seek a firm base... Paul began his roughest travels. The task was immense, and against him stood the contemporary climate of thought, the great philosophies, the leading religions of the world. Yet his ally was the age-old, unending human search for truth and security. Now, the first thing that would be true for every single one of us in the room is no matter where you are, God has called you to stand up and to move forward. When you're sitting in a grocery store and you get a nudge on your heart to talk to someone or to pray for someone, it's the same thing. You're taking a step towards the person of Jesus, towards the kingdom of God. I think the other thing that I love here, and it's not a main point, but um, Paul or Saul at this point had an internal witness. He heard from God that he was called to go. It's almost 14 years until he goes. Like, that's a lot of tension. That's a lot of time between. Like, that's a, that's a lot, I think, to carry. Um, but there's an internal witness that this guy, Saul, had. And I wonder how many questions, how much doubt he had. Did God really call me? Did I really hear that? Is this really true? Was he sitting there making his little leather tents? And then 14 years later, the church authenticates the call. And the, whole, the Holy Spirit says, lay hands on them and then send them off. Okay. The second thing that Paul and Barnabas knew, or Barnabas and Saul knew at this moment, is they were blessed to be a blessing. Everybody say, I am blessed to be a blessing. Ready? One, two, three. I am blessed to be a blessing. Just for clearness this morning, let's define blessing as proximity to the presence and person of Jesus. Proximity to the kingdom of heaven. You'll hear me say things a lot of times like, God just didn't just come to get you into heaven. He actually came to get heaven into you. So that you can walk in and live under the blessing of God. So Abraham is blessed to be a blessing. Paul now, right here, Saul, is blessed to be a blessing. What's interesting is, we're not going to read it, but if you kept going in Genesis chapter 12, you would find that Abraham, when, he, when there's a covenant made with God, his name gets changed to, um, from Abram to Abraham. And I, without making this convoluted, um, the, the simple way is, a covenant is when God um, makes a promise to a person, okay? And a covenant uh, is, is just a, a God, a Bible word for promise, but a covenant is always ratified or guaranteed by, who knows, blood, blood. So we could, I could take you, it's in Genesis 15, you could see where God makes this covenant with Abraham and blood is shed. Now, Jesus is uh, instituted, King Jesus, fully God and yet fully man, instituted what is known as the new covenant, and he ratified the new covenant by his blood. That's right. So that is where you would get the idea of blood covenant. So even our modern understanding of what it means to like sign when you're, when you're signing a document is a, an Old Testament covenant ratified in You've signed it. If you don't make good on it, we're going to come get you is what that means. 
So that, that's where the idea sort of came from. So there's this um, covenant that God made first with Abraham, um, and now he has also made it with the Lord Jesus. And when the Lord Jesus actually commissioned everybody at the end of Matthew 28, he said, go and tell them all. Go and tell them all. He actually didn't tell them where to go. He didn't tell them what to say. He didn't tell them necessarily what to do. He said, go and tell them all, baptizing them, teaching them to um, become disciples, um, and he sent them off. So it's very similar to the way God sent Abram, uh, and it's very similar to the way God now is sending Barnabas and Saul. So he's blessed us to be a blessing. Now, um, let's just pause here. Let me keep reading, and then we're going to come back to it. But I've blessed you to be a blessing, so hold on to that. Uh, Verse 4, the two of them um, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at uh, Salamis, they produced the word of God in the Jewish synagogue, and John was with them as their helper. So they're going to the Jewish synagogues, and they're sharing Jesus. Okay, verse 6, they traveled through the whole island about 90 miles until they came to Paphos, and there they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus. What? Okay. Luke, I mean, Dr. Luke writing this, the only Gentile author in the Bible, he doesn't, doesn't spare anything, does he? Verse 7, um, Bar-Jesus was an attendant of the proconsul named Sergius Paulus. The proconsul was an intelligent man, so he's a Roman leader. He rules the island um, of, of, uh, of the city there of Patphos, but he rules the whole island of, of Cyprus. So the proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he waited to hear the word of God. Verse 8, but Eliamus the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from faith. So uh, what's happening here? You have Paul and Barnabas and Saul who are journeying from um, city to city on this island, which is Barnabas' hometown. They're sharing Jesus. All of a sudden, you have this Roman sort of governor that has heard about it. He calls for them to come and share because he's intelligent and he wants to understand what they're saying. And you've got this Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus or Eliamus who is going to stand in the way and oppose them. Okay, verse 9. Then Saul, who was also called Paul. Really interesting. This is the first time in Scripture he's called Paul. And after this point, he never goes back. He's, he's Paul from here forward. Who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Eliamus and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you, and you're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul, who's the proconsul? Governor, yep, Sergius Paulus, saw what had happened, he believed. For he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. So he is, you have a Roman governor who has now given his life to Jesus. Okay, so number one, arise and go. Number two, I have blessed you to be a blessing. Number three, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. What did... Saul just do here. It's like, oh. okay, let's open this up for just a minute. Pause for just a second. 
when Saul came to Christ, you could go back and listen to the message on it. It was in Acts 8 and 9. But when Saul came to Christ, what was the first thing that happened to him? He went blind. So this is actually Saul, Saul's first miracle. His name gets changed to Paul. It's his first miracle recorded in Scripture. And he looks at this guy, Bar-Jesus, and what's he say? You're going to be... He does curse him. Uh, but what's fascinating to me is he curses him with the same gift that he himself had, which was a gift that ultimately led him to repentance and a dependence upon King Jesus. Pretty amazing. So I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curses who curse you. Now, just a kind of a side note in this moment. Um, Paul, or Saul, up till this point, has been kind of an assistant or a second-in-command to this guy named Barnabas. Now, I don't know what happened here, but it appears after this that not only does he not go by Saul anymore, he now goes by uh, Paul from this point forward, but suddenly it now becomes Paul and Barnabas. So there is this, something happens in this moment of, of adversity where Paul has been kind of the junior partner. Um, Barnabas has been the senior partner. Barnabas has, he, Saul has probably been almost a protege of Barnabas. Suddenly adversity happens and you have Paul stepping up and forward under the power of God. And he becomes, it's like he steps into who God had called him to be in this moment of serious adversity. I, I couldn't help but think as I was reading this and just studying and praying, it reminded me of D.L. Moody. Have you ever, anybody heard of D.L. Moody? Love D.L. Moody. But D.L. Moody was very content leading a Sunday school program in Chicago, um, doing a great work. And uh, what happened is the great fire of Chicago came, and guess what it did to his Sunday school building? Burn it down. And guess what it did to his house? Burn it down. And everyone raised money and immediately wanted to rebuild it. And D.L. Moody went, hang on, let's see God on this. And it was from that point that it became the jump-off point where D.L. Moody actually began to, to um, move out from Chicago and evangelize the entire world. So it's this moment of real serious adversity in Moody's life that becomes the birthplace of his call. Same thing here. It's a moment of tremendous adversity. I mean, I can't imagine uh, if you're standing up trying to preach and people, some guy is standing up yelling that, you know, you're wrong and you're lying and he's opposing them. Um, and, and so uh, Saul, who could have even gotten scared and run away or hidden or left or moved to another island or whatever, um, decides to stand up and to take authority over this thing. And in so doing, he steps in into um, his call and his place and his position. So, arise and go. I have blessed you, number two, to be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who, curses, who curse you. And I would say to you, even your adversity, whatever your adversity is this morning, may be the very thing that God uses to launch or to project you into the thing he's called you to do. Don't discredit what adversity you are in, because it might be the very thing that God uses to lift you up. Okay, the fourth thing is all the earth will be blessed by 
you. So Paul, right here, it's now Paul and Barnabas, have now set off, and they are on a three-year journey to go from place to place, from city to city, to preach Jesus. And I think what's amazing is there is this sense um, that God uh, now has called them to arise and go. There's a sense that God has blessed them um, to be a blessing. There's a sense that God is now saying, those who uh, bless you, I'm going to bless. And then there's this sense that the entire earth will be blessed by you. So there's this fulfillment from way back in the Old Testament when God first spoke to Abraham that now it was fulfilled first in King Jesus when he came and and made a new covenant or a a new uh, covenant with us, ratified by his blood. And now it's being fulfilled again um, in the apostle Paul as he and Barnabas go out and begin to share, and they are launching this New Testament church. So they're rolling into a city, they're preaching for some weeks or some months, um, sometimes longer, leading people to Christ, setting up um, elders and deacons and setting up a local church, and then they're moving on. So what you actually have here is this this person who is living out the reality that I have been uh, been told to arise and go, I have been blessed um, to be a blessing, um, and I know that anyone that... uh, that blesses me, God is going to bless. Anyone that curses me, God is going to curse. And then all the earth is going to be blessed by me. Now listen, church, if in some supernatural way we could get our head and our hearts around the reality that God is and wants to move in us and through us and that all the earth will be blessed by us. And some of you would go, uh, Michael, is there a risk that we get prideful if we think that? Is there? Did, was Paul the source of the blessing? No. Was Abraham the source of the blessing? No. The moment you begin to think you're the source of the blessing, it's probably time to repent and get rid of your pride. But here's the thing. In this Christian life, we are called to take up our cross and follow King Jesus, and we are actually called to be participants with him in the entire earth being blessed by us and through us. Like, it is this... um, Un, uh, sort of almost un, you cannot almost understand the magnitude by which God wants to use you to be a blessing. All the earth will be blessed by you. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. God has called us. Worship team, you can come on out. I see you back there. God has called us to arise and go. God has called us, God has blessed us to be a blessing. God is going to bless those who bless me and curse those who curse me, and all the earth will be blessed by me. I'm going to ask you to declare this with me, okay? Because it isn't just words on a page in Genesis 12 or in Acts 13. It is the full culmination of the purpose and plan of God that he would fill you with his presence, his kingdom, his will, his way, and that the entirety of the earth would be blessed by us. Are you ready? God has called me to arise and go. God has blessed me to be a blessing. God will bless those who bless me and curse those who curse me. And all the earth will be blessed by me. That's God's Abrahamic promise fulfilled in Jesus. 
That's God's Pauline promise fulfilled right here, beginning to be fulfilled in Acts 13. And that's God's promise to you and I as heirs of his presence, his kingdom, his will, and his way. Stand with me, if you will. We're going to worship in one final song. Prayer team, if you would make yourself available down front here. If you would like special prayer for anything, we would love to pray with you. If you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never understood the totality of the gospel where you exchange your life for the life of Christ in you and through you, I'd love to pray with you right here. We're going to worship the Lord together, and then we'll be dismissed. Here is where I lay it down. You are all I'm chasing now. This is my surrender. This is my surrender. Father, as we go from this place today, I pray that for us, your people, you would allow us to sense your blessing, your gracious hand more powerfully. Father, would you give us eyes to see the kingdom of God, the unseen kingdom of God at work more tangibly. Father, would you give us faith to step out in obedience to you. Father, would you give us confidence that you want, have blessed us to be a blessing and that you want all the people around us to be blessed by us and through us. Father, we love you. We praise your holy name. And I pray that this congregation at this time would sense your face shining upon them and that you will lead us in the way everlasting. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast of Saltbox Church. If this content was helpful to you, please like it, rate it, review it, and share it on social media, as that is helpful to us. We believe when a person grows in their own Jesus journey, everyone around them benefits and gets better.